Good morning. Welcome to Freedom. If you're new here, I want to let you know that I am not the pastor. Yes. If you're joining online, we want to say thank you for tuning in. I'm currently a senior at Truett McConnell University, majoring in Christian Studies. So what better way to put to practice what I've been learning? This past uh, Friday was our last day of camp Namaste here. And what an awesome week it was just to hang out with the community and get to know the student ministries around the area. And we learned, or on the last day, we went to Stars and Strikes. And I learned that I am terrible at bowling in arcade games. A student and I were playing this arcade game, and his name is Roshan. And it's Roshan, Roshan, wave to me. Hey, Roshan. <laughs> Roshan is just such an awesome student. And we were playing this arcade game, and when it came time to, so the game was like this. So the, there was a light that spun around in a circle. And you had to hit the stop button right when it would hit the thousand mark. And it come to find out, Roshan is not good at arcade games either. We spent at least an hour and 30 minutes on one arcade game and didn't beat it one time. So maybe next time, Roshan. Today we're starting a new sermon series called Imperfect Relationships. We all struggle on some level about uh, our, our relationships because we're fallen and we're broken. It's, only, it's, our, it's in our nature to struggle with our relationships. That's why I love this statement on our website, which is, we are imperfect people for imperfect people. Discovering freedom through Christ together. When picking a passage that circled around the idea of imperfect relationships, I was reminded of the first school paper that I wrote that was regarding the Bible. So if you have your Bibles with you today, will you please turn to Ephesians 6, 1 through 9. Ephesians 6, 1 through 9. The purpose of Ephesians was to emphasize that believers are part of Christ's death, resurrection, and fullness, that the church, of, that the church is one body of Christ. In Ephesians 6, 1 through 9 specifically, we see many of usage, usages of Paul's analogies to submission to authority. Paul gives various instructions to different members of the Christian household on how to, how to think and conduct themselves as believers in their individual roles. A focus on knowing the Lord and pleasing Him must be the primary focus and the primary motivation for each member of the household. When Paul writes Ephesians, he's writing to the church in Ephesus. And he writes to the church in Ephesus around 60 AD because during that time he was in prison at Rome. And the population size around the time of Paul and around Ephesus at the time was somewhere around 200,000. So not only did his letter have the potential to reach, not only did his letter reach the people at Ephesus, it had the potential to reach thousands more people. In this passage, Paul addresses many imperfect relationships between children and parents, slaves and masters. Because of these imperfect relationships, Paul, for, Paul provides 
his audience with various ways that we can restore some of these broken relationships. So let's begin with the first three verses. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may be well with you and that you may live long in the land. Since Paul's letter was to be read aloud to the children at Ephesus, the children were old enough to understand and comprehend the message that, was, that they were receiving, and they were old enough, so they, basically they weren't toddlers. For Paul, obedience to parents was the basic functioning of society, and the widespread neglect of this obvious principle of conduct was a sign of moral chaos. So that, there was some serious, broken, and imperfect relationships at Ephesus. We see in Ephesians 5, Paul uses the word submit. But here in Ephesians 6, Paul uses something that goes beyond submit. He uses something stronger. He uses the word obey. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this, for this is right. Here in verse 1, Paul wants the children to have obedience that goes beyond the common saying we hear from parents, because I said so. Do this because I said so. How many of you heard that once or twice in your life? Amen. I know I have. He wants that, uh, that common statement to go beyond that to something that's rooted in respect for the Lord himself. Failure for children to obey their parents brings very... It brings displeasure in the Lord's sight and could ultimately lead to the children rebelling against God himself. For Paul, it, it's right for children to obey their parents because obedience is the Lord's expectation. We know by reading Exodus 21 through 17 that honor your father and mother isn't the first commandment, but it is the first commandment with a promise associated to it, which is longevity. Children obeying or honoring their father and mother was deeply rooted in Jewish tradition at the time of Jesus. And we see Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew and Mark, specifically Matthew 15.4 and Mark 17.10. He reiterates this point or this commandment when he's, criticized, when he's criticizing the Pharisees for effectively overturning it. Paul wants the children at Ephesus to understand that being obedient and humble to their parents will produce a blessing in their life, which is longevity. This, pros this promise of prosperity is held out to every believing child that obeys and honors their father and mother. This brings us to verse 4. And in verse 4, Paul has a very short address to the fathers, which is only... It's just one verse. Notably, he doesn't, he doesn't address, we know that he's specifically talking to the fathers because if he was talking to mothers, he more than likely would have said parents. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. Paul warns his, the fathers not to treat their children in such a way that will make them angry. 
When it comes to the father and son relationship during Paul's time, fathers had so much control over their sons that they could imprison them, they could scourge them, they could shame them, they could sell them up to slavery up to three times, and they could have them killed. It's pretty serious stuff during the Roman and during Paul's, Paul's life, lifetime. Fathers, you, you need to exercise care in how, they, in how you interact with your children, especially in the way that you discipline them. Fathers, Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives you the utmost responsibility in the household, which is to be in charge of their spiritual journeys and their spiritual grounding. It's the essence of the Christian faith. You have such an impact. You can have such an impact over your children by the things that you say, by the way that you treat them. Here in verse 4, Paul is saying that not only does the fathers have the duty of raising their children to be decent and responsible people, but training, instructing them in ways that are of the Lord. Fathers must carefully weigh the potential impacts of their words and actions when they respond to their children. This means that fathers, you shouldn't, you shouldn't say or you shouldn't be nagging your children on and enticing them to give you some sort of response that's going to cause them to be rattled or saying harsh words to them even when you discipline even when it's the toughest when they've done the worst things it's it's gonna it's it could be tough not to say certain things to them but those words have big impacts over your over your children fathers must discipline and instruct their children in ways that are from the lord as the text or of the lord as the text says and that is prescribed by him and some of these teachings are prescribed that are prescribed by him is outlined already in Ephesians 4 and 5. You can go ahead and once the service is over, I encourage you to go read the entire book of Ephesians. It's not that long. It's only six chapters. Fathers need to center on the kinds of teachings that are going to bring them up. And we see that not only in Ephesians 4 through 5, but all throughout Scripture, which brings us to verse 5 through 8. Here Paul is addressing bondservants and masters. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering good service with a good will, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good one does, this will receive, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. So Paul shifts from talking to children, parents, now he talks to bondservants. Some of your translations may say slaves. I know that the NASB says slaves and like but when I when we see the word slave in scripture 
or in this context, it's important to note that, one, the Bible does not advocate for slavery, but rather assumes it as a part of the cultural setting. Slavery was not instituted by God. Rather, it was instituted by sinful and fallen men. It's also important to note that slavery within Paul's time and the slavery that he's addressing within the Roman era differed greatly from the slavery that we've grown up and learned about that happened a couple hundred years ago. And then when I was doing research, I came across and I wanted to find out what slavery was like in the Roman era. And come to find out slavery was not what we think it was of the interpretation that we might have that slavery was. So one, racial factors played absolutely no role. It was nothing to do with race. Roman slaves were of various races of, the, of people in the Mediterranean region involved people from basically every country. Numerous slaves could expect to be freed during their lifetime. Various slaves worked in several specialized positions. Some of these positions were doctors, teachers. They were writers, accountants, agents, sea captains, and so on. Many slaves actually could receive education, which is very interesting in training in specialized skills. Freed slaves often became Roman citizens and developed a client relationship with their former masters. Paul is saying here in verse 5 that slaves should obey their earthly masters as they would obey Christ. That's, that's a lot of the parallels or the, a lot of where Paul is getting at in Ephesians 6, 1 through 9 is obeying our parents as you would obey Christ. It's all we're reflecting on how we treat Christ. You wouldn't dis, you can disobey, but if you're a believer, you wouldn't want to disobey Christ. So why would we disobey and uh, not obey each other within our relationships and honoring our fathers? Slaves are to serve their masters with the same devotion as they do Christ. Slaves must do their best work, not when they feel threatened. Instead, they should do their best work even when their masters aren't watching. In verse 6, we see the word eye service. Eye service essentially means that service, essentially means that doing service only to attract attention from others. Slaves should not serve only their earthly masters. Their service must also be determined by their obedience to the Lord, which is their, which is their service, which means their service must come from the heart and not out of obligation. Paul also wants the children's slaves to understand that, or the Christian slaves, excuse me, to understand that their service to their human masters should and must be done as a direct service to the Lord himself. Slaves must view their work as, their, as they would directly serve Christ. I didn't realize how dry my mouth would be when I'm up here speaking.
happened in verse 8, which moves us on to verse 8. While it is part of God's plan for every person who comes in relationship with Jesus to live out their lives devoted to good works, as we see in Ephesians 2.10, Paul wants the slaves to understand that their good works are all noticed by the one master who is in heaven and who truly cares and who will reward you come judgment day. The good works each slave does behind the scenes doesn't go unnoticed. For their earthly, for their heavenly master, excuse me, their heavenly master sees everything. When Paul says whether he is a slave or is free, essentially what he says or what he means by this is both slaves and masters will stand before Christ come judgment day. Which is remarkable in this situation right here when Paul is essentially leveling the playing ground between slaves and masters. Slaves may not receive the blessings for their hard work on earth, but come the day of judgment, everything will be brought to light. No one will receive special treatment or favoritism, for all will be judged by the same criteria, which is that of works. It doesn't matter on Judgment Day if you're a slave or a, a free person, because all will be judged accordingly. Paul writes in Romans 2, 6 that God will render to each one according to his works. Now, we don't need to get this confused with, okay, is salvation's work-based? Is my works going to get me saved? Because that's not the case, because Romans 5 tells us that salvation is a free gift that anyone can receive. But works comes as a result of our salvation. When we become saved, we should want to do good works. It's proof of our our salvation. Works should come as, it should come easily for us once we're believing and growing in Christ-likeness. And this brings us to the last verse, which is verse 9. And Paul here is addressing the masters. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening. Knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there is no partiality with him. The first usage we see in verse 9 of the word master is referring to earthly masters. Now the second time he uses masters, he's referring to not their earthly masters, but their heavenly master. He's referring to God. The section towards masters is slightly shorter because Paul focuses on slaves or he's shorter than when Paul focuses on slaves because he expects, expects the slave owners to do the same behavior he recently told the slaves to have. When Paul states, do the same thing to them, he essentially means that masters should treat their slaves as they would want to be treated. Should, if you don't want to be treated in a certain way, don't treat people the same. Don't treat people in a way that you wouldn't want to be treated. We often see that in our daily lives. Treat people, what's the saying? Treat people the way you want to, here's some saying. 
Do unto others. There we go. Thank you. Back in the first century, masters used fear to control their slaves and thought that fear was a way to produce more loyalty. While masters need to control their slaves, this does not give them the right to torture or to beat their slaves. It doesn't make them any, masters aren't any more significant in the eyes of Christ because in God's eyes, both are equally human and ultimately serve, serve him. There is no partiality with them. Well, what does that mean? Paul essentially means when he writes that, uh, that God doesn't pick and choose favorites. There is nothing an enslaved person or master can do that will make God love them more or make God love them less. We see that in Romans 8.39 when it says, Nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Here in Ephesians 6, verse 9, Paul reminds them that they both serve the same master in heaven who is above everything. Now, how does this passage apply to us? How does a slave and master terminology, how... How in the world could that apply to us? Let's first start with children. When Paul refers to children, he states instructions without making any cultural dependent applications, which means that his teachings still apply today. As the text clearly says, obeying your parents will lead to well-being and longevity in a child's life. Children's or children, you need to understand that Honoring your father and mother is not limited to childhood, adolescence, or adulthood. It's a lifetime responsibility that goes beyond just when you're living in a house. It's, you should honor your parents your entire life. Fathers, Paul has placed you in the leadership role of the house, the utmost responsibility. Paul makes you responsible for the spiritual grounding of your children. When I was thinking of ways on how the passage could apply in regards to fathers, here's some of the things that I think you could do to help them grow in their spiritual journey. One is by helping your children become familiar with Scripture. How many times do you read scripture with your children? Do they know basic stories of the Bible? That doesn't make you a better Christian than anyone, if you do. But how familiar are they with, with scripture? You must discuss and model the mission and teaching and example of Jesus Christ himself. You must also help your children come to an understanding that their identity in Christ is foundational to every part in every aspect of their life. You must engage. This is important. You must engage your children with what they're in, encountering and learning at school. Discuss it and then correlate it to biblical teachings. I'm here to tell you, friends, not everything your children are learning in school is biblical. 
In fact, most of the time it's unbiblical. So interacting and having some environment where your children are feel safe and they're comfortable in a way that they can express to you what they're learning and not feel like you're um, to not feel like you're pressing down on them or wanting to get to some deeper issue, but making them feel in a way where they're comfortable with sharing these things with you because it all starts with having a relationship with your children. If you don't have a relationship with your children, this isn't going to work. You also need to help your children transition to basic motivations for good behavior. This can come only through nurturing their individual relationships with the Lord. Like I said, fathers, according to this passage, you have the utmost responsibility, the greatest responsibility in your child's life. Just the amount of influence that you have over your children is very profound. Which brings us to slaves. How does slaves and masters, how does that apply to us? The relationship between slaves and masters during Paul's time was familiar to or was similar to an employee-employer relationship. Like we said, it wasn't race-based forced servitude. It was voluntary works to help individuals, uh, for example, pay off debt. So slaves being obedient, slaves being the employees and masters being the employer. So with that being said, for employees and those who are under an authority structure, this applies to you. You as believers should do your work and serve your employers, employers as if you were directly serving Christ himself. As we see in Ephesians 6, 5 and verse 7. Treat your managers and supervisors with respect. You wouldn't willingly, you shouldn't willingly disrespect Christ. So what makes you think you should willingly disrespect your employers? Do your work with a pure, with a pure heart and a good attitude. Don't perform just to make a good impression. What does your work look like when no one's watching? When your master doesn't come in to work that day, how hard are you working? Remember that the Lord expects you to do good works, notices them when you do them, and will reward all that you've done. Masters, which employers, so as for employers, supervisors, and managers... You've got to hold your employees accountable. But this doesn't mean you can threaten them like they were doing during Paul's time by saying, by saying things like, you better do this work or you're fired. Everyone loves to hear that. Show no favoritism just as God shows no favoritism. You need to remember that you also, employers, are under, under authority as well. All employees or all employers, supervisors, and managers are answerable, answerable to the Lord himself for all the decisions and how you treat your employees. For all will be called to account at the, seat, at the judgment seat of Jesus, at, as 2 Corinthians 5.10 tells us. 
So as we wrap up, I want, I really hope that this passage changes your perspective on how to conduct yourselves in your daily lives. Our imperfect relationships will improve if we apply these things as stated in Ephesians 6, 1 through 9. I love what Paul says. I love what he says in Ephesians 5, 21. He says that we should submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This means that we have to, we must have an attitude of self-denial and putting the needs of others first. We should submit to Jesus' lordship in every aspect of our life. And friends, we need to put others first and be a servant like Christ. Jesus says in Matthew 28, or Matthew 20, verse 28, Even the Son of Man came not to, to be served, but to serve, and to give his, life, give his life as a ransom for many. Some of you in this room may be struggling with your relationships. Maybe you've been wrestling with a family member or a coworker for quite some time. Listen, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, don't don't live life with anger and bitterness towards others. Our society has enough of that. When the worship team comes and plays and sings, feel free to go and pray with others in this room. free to come pray at the altar if you feel led or you can stand or sit at your seat I hope this passage changes your perspective like it's changed mine let's pray God thank you for this day thank you for being such a gracious and merciful God <clears throat> you're the reason why we're here today it's all about you, dear Jesus. It's all about you. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for our sins. Taking the punishment we all deserve, rising again three days later and conquering death once and for all. Help us to restore our imperfect relationships and grow in Christ-likeness. Remind us to be servants like Jesus. I pray that you would remind us of how we can apply and put to practice these things that we've learned in Ephesians 6, 1 through 9. Continue working in and through us. Use us, Lord, to advance your kingdom. Keep us safe this 4th of July, and I pray that we wouldn't take for granted the time and the fellowship we get to spend with friends and family. We pray all of this in your son's mighty name. Amen.